So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle cast, welcome to one of my first non-commentary solo Bizzle cast that I've done in a while. Um, and it's not because I've no one to talk about this with. Certainly, Simi and other Star Wars contributors will be weighing in on this in the weeks to come. Um, but uh, uh, this particular announcement uh, of a previous announcement that had me very excited, specifically the John Favreau 10-episode live-action for adults uh, series on the forthcoming Disney streaming channel, um, has been the thing I've been most excited for since it was announced especially since we knew it was happening after pretty much right after the original trilogy we didn't know exactly when or where or what um but that was enough to get me super excited because we just haven't gotten that much stuff between you know episode six and episode seven and part of that is they haven't finished telling their story um with uh with the new trilogy and so they don't want to give away everything with luke and and so forth we know what happened to han we're gonna find out what happened to leia um we're gonna get some billy d of course we've got chewy they're running out of reasons to not tell us so you know they don't just this is why i love disney they don't just drop us a couple crumbs with some books and comic books nope they're giving us a live action series that they've admitted is going to cost at least a hundred billion dollars for ten episodes, and have pointed out, uh, you know, not a coincidence that Disney went out of their way to point out that that is what Game of Thrones and Star Trek Discovery and all sort of the biggest sci fi fantasy shows on TV have cost. They are clearly committing tons of resources to this. They're having John Favreau direct it, who of course directed Iron Man one and two, has been a producer on everything in the MCU, and as much or more than Joss Whedon with the Avengers, I would say more because he did it first with Iron Man and has been with the MCU from the beginning and been working with Disney for a long time, doing a great version of The Jungle Book, among other things, working on The Lion King, um, has been the, you know, is the father or grandfather of the MCU as we know it. And so he knows how to work with Disney on these large-scale projects. They clearly trust him with the money, with the responsibility. All the actors out there love him and know him, so he's going to be able to cast whoever he wants. He has been a Star Wars fan forever, like so many of his generation. He, of course, is the, of, of the same age as, uh, you know, Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams and Gareth Edwards, maybe slightly older than those guys, you know, but like also like Ron Howard, who's slightly older than him. They all grew up loving Star Wars. And he said that he had this idea long before Star Wars brought him on. And even before Disney had bought Star Wars, he was going to pitch this or maybe had pitched it to George Lucas, which was doing a story after the original trilogy. And we have just learned, and this is why I'm doing the podcast, the announcement that 
that all of the rumors and speculations by us nerds are, were correct and that he was going to focus on the thing we know he loves, which is the Mandalorians, which most people only know from the Mandalorian armor that Boba Fett and his dad Jango Fett wear, even though they're not technically, as far as we know, a Mandalorians according to canon. But, you know, people love the look of, uh, you know, and just the classicness of, of, of Boba Fett and the armor, but we learned so much in the long uh, and numerous Duchess Satine Obi-Wan Maul episodes of the Clone Wars, and then of course is revisited numerous times uh, down the line in terms of the timeline with Sabine Wren and her family and their claims to you know the Darksaber, which I'm going to get into, and possibly the rule of the throne and so forth. And while Simi uh, Klimo and I, my senior Star Wars contributor, are going to be doing a number of Clone Wars arcs before the first uh, Mandalore arc in the Clone Wars and our extended um, arc coverage of the best Clone Wars arcs, uh, th- that first episode being season two, episode 12, the Mandalore plot, which is when shit, which is when stuff first starts going to shit on Mandalore. Um, and we've already done Ked Bane in the Holocron, which is a great, you know, opening episode episode where the Clone Wars hits stride at the end of season one, season two. We've got the Luminara Barris arc where we really learn the difference between Annika and, and, and Ahsoka, uh, their similarity, but how different they are to sort of the apathetic, uh, you know, f- fatalistic state of so many of the Jedi in the order. Um, and really starting to contrast the fact that Anakin and Ahsoka want to win the war. They also don't want to die unnecessarily. They believe in the Force, but they don't believe that the will of the Force is a single thing, um, or that you know there are numerous interpretations to it. So the third arc, I believe that we are doing, is this arc, um, uh, which I'm about to talk about, which is the first of the Satine Obi-Wan arcs. Now, the Duchess Satine is really interesting because, so Mandalore played a huge role in the old extended universe uh, in Star Wars, and they've preserved the main parts of the cosmology and history, which is that Mandalore was by far the most powerful empire 3,000 years ago that wasn't the Republic, um, who the Jedi were still working for back then then and mandalore just expanded so far and so fast and were so militant the jedi and the new republic or the old republic had to fight them they eventually beat the mandalorians even though the mandalorians used their high technology brilliant minds and great military prowess to give them a good fight and they never quite forgave anybody they still have a large chunk of space you know they'd be like the cardassians like a you know b plus a minus level race that still has a lot of power but isn't you know starfleet or the romulans or whatever if you want to use the star trek comparison but they do have many systems and planets and stars and so forth and after all the years of fighting uh the external threats then they start fighting internal threats and it's just death and killing and murder and eventually satine becomes the duchess and the head of mandalore and she's actually a pacifist and she tries to turn her warlike people into pacifists but right in the middle of when the separatists struggle against the uh republic uh you know takes off in episode two and then the Clone Wars is very inconvenient time. So that's interesting on its own. You know, this pacifist leader among uh, these warriors that go back thousands of years, their great armor, the jetpacks, the dark saber, which we'll get into if you've seen those Sabine episodes in season three and four of rebels, which I will be covering in my rebels commentaries and elsewhere. But on top of that, we immediately get a, a, 
love story between Satine and Obi-Wan. And, and yes, it happened a while ago, but we're never told that it happened until they meet up. He's assigned to be her bodyguard during this very difficult, you know, time in season two of Clone Wars, and they don't agree on almost anything. They're both extremely stubborn and headstrong, and that's part of the attraction. And the fact that they had this romance when they were both younger and had less responsibility and they can't have it anymore is made all the more tragic by, and guys, here's where the spoilers come in if you haven't seen Clone Wars, so go see Clone Wars and come back. Satine is ultimately murdered in the, I believe, third and final Mandalore arc by Darth Maul, who then takes over control of Mandalore for a while, and then we're going to see with the return of the Clone Wars and the Siege of Mandalore, which I'm thrilled about, have been predicting forever, I'm happy it's happening, as Ahsoka the lead, but as part of canon that we never saw, right before Order 66, uh, Ahsoka and some of the loyal clones go to Mandalore and help kick off Maul. Nevertheless, they're left so weak that when Palpatine comes to power, you know, not long after that time, uh, without the Jedi, without Ahsoka's help, without the clones, the good clones, etc., the Empire easily does divide and conquer and gets most of the uh, Mandalorian clans on their side. It's very Game of Thrones uh, in that way. And, we, you know, what, what's really cool is some of the early Sabine episodes, which takes a while. It's episode, season two and then, of course, season three. Sabine's link her, her, uh, to Mandalore is important because her family is from Clan Vizsla, which was the ultimate, you know, powerful clan, like Aragorn. You know, like she's a descendant of Aragorn or, or, or the way Aragorn's a descendant of the Numenorian kings. She is a descendant it's not like she's the only one that's allowed to rule but she does have the blood and, and clan Vizsla is the one who initially created the dark saber uh, uh the original Vizsla was a guy who i think created the dark saber and joined the jedi order but then he died and they kept it and he was the only jedi mandalorian and it's a very special object and you know it, 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 there's a lot of storyline going on with sabine getting back the dark saber and so forth uh that is more than hinted and we get some good progression of that um in rebels but it still leaves a lot open in terms of where does mandalore go from there so if you ha- again if you haven't seen clone wars or rebels i'm assuming you have if you're listening to this it would be somewhat difficult to know why this is so important other than again the cool jetpacks and costumes of um a boba fett who's who's just a thug who him and his dad stole it from the mandalorians but the voice cast the writing acting and voice casting of all the mandalore stuff is excellent i'm not actually a huge fan of judd favreau's uh pre-Vizsla character, who you know is a bad guy from the beginning who's going to betray them. He ends up being the one responsible for them losing power, for Satine getting killed, for Maul taking over, blah, blah, blah. And the legacy of this, of course, follows over into the future with the Sabine episodes of Rebels many decades later in the Star Wars universe. Nevertheless, you know, the fact that he was so committed to doing a voice, um, I was going to say the voice acting from Satine to Obi-Wan to Darth Maul and everyone, and and of course, Katie Sackhoff, who will get back as Satine's sister, Bo-Katan, who we don't meet till later. Um, Amazing voice cast, amazing writing, super cinematic, really Shakespearean uh, 
in scope of tragedy in terms of the romances and the political intrigues, only Rogue One and a few other things have that sort of Shakespearean feel as epic as Star Wars is. And I think the extended Mandalore episodes with Obi-Wan and Satine and so forth fit those. So where are we now? So John Favreau, who played the voice, very much fascinated by Mandalorian culture. And by the way, what is John Favreau known for best? You know, as I mentioned, uh, the Iron Man franchise and launching the MCU. And what does Iron Man do that everyone loves and has looked great from the beginning? Is the Iron Man suit flying all over the place? Well, guess what Mandalorians do? They fly in their super suits all over the place. So from you add A, his love of Mandalorian culture and what it could mean post you know, Empire Falling, the Mandalorians are probably going to take another shot at, you know, galactic power, I would think. Um, B, the fact that he loves jetpacks and flying things, and just from a purely uh, uh, CGI, you know, standpoint, is going to be able to nail all of that. I mean, he's great anyways. The Iron Man movies look great, whatever you think of them. And The Jungle Book is a story that I actually don't think is a great story, and Rudyard Kipling is a fucking colonialist, ass- colonialist asshole. Nevertheless, we all grew up on The Jungle Book. I thought his Jungle Book reinterpretation was about as good as you're going to get, and it looked amazing. So all the things that we've loved, and and by the way, they meant to, because the human was a real human boy in Jungle Book, the animals had to look like great real animals that were CGI rather than blatantly CGI animals like we'd see in a Pixar movie or an episode of Star Wars Rebels. So he's going to be able to nail all the cool aliens and creatures and so forth. He, of course, participated as an alien that didn't last long but was very memorable and solo. So John Favreau is a central part of the family. He's established himself as a writer, director, producer. He has an extremely good sense of humor. If you've ever seen Swingers, which he wrote, directed, and starred in back in the day, one of the classic movies growing up. Up in the in, in the nineties. Um, and it, uh, you know it, all of his guest appearances in various comedies it's always hilarious like in the Captain America movies working for Mr. Stark always having heart problems and overweight and so forth fantastic so he's got all of the qualities so we always, already knew that it was this was going to be very special it was going to be the first long high budget live action Star Wars show ever it was going to help launch the new streaming service probably late next year leading up to or right after episode 9 which people are you know getting increasingly excited about as they should um but the announcement for sure that this was not only going to involve Mandalorians, but they're calling it the Mandalorian, and it's going to be the centerpiece, has Star Wars fans in a tizzy. And the one, two, three punch of the announcement of uh, the Game of Thrones guys coming on to do an extended project, although we know very little about that. Uh, but the two big announcements, of course, were the Clone Wars coming back, the surprise announcement at Comic-Con that they're getting the Siege of Mandalore baby with Ahsoka and the original cast, Anakin, Obi-Wan. Oh, man, it's going to be great. Uh, Clone Wars coming back next year to finish w- w- what it started. And then, of course, the Favreau announcement. Now, the Clone Wars announcement, because we knew it was Siege of Mandalore and Ahsoka, and we already love Clone Wars and Dave Filoni and the people behind all of that, that was definitely the thing the hardcore fans were the most excited about in addition to all the new comics and the books and whatever and so forth and blah 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 but i think it's safe to say that now that we know that this is already filming and now they're starting to announce potential directors from taika waititi to ron howard's daughter bryce 
Dallas Howard, who I think is a good actress that's just misused, but she's, I'm sure, super smart because of her dad. Will do a great job directing. Alan Taylor from Game of Thrones. We're getting directors from all over the place who have tons of talent in writing. Um, and I think it's interesting and cool that Favreau is right, is calling himself an executive producer, creator, and writer. Um, I feel like he will direct an episode. Oh, of course, Dave Filoni finally directing a live action episode after all of his amazing work running, you know, show running uh, Clone Wars and then Rebels. You know, I, I think the Star Wars nerds are thrilled that Filoni will be involved. But because Filoni did so much of the development in the animated series of um, of Mandalore, expanding its culture, history, politics, and so forth from the ground up, literally as a as a character in it, but also being involved in, in, in you know in, in in its inception and probably learning more behind the scenes than we know. It's possible that despite him being on the sort of the MCU story group, he's probably on the Star Wars story group at this point and has been for a while. Um, the fact that he's embracing th- this and calling it the Mandalorian, I, I, I'm not going to say this is having, you know, this is a a new a, a giant news story, and it's possible that very soon people uh, in the podcast and you know blogosphere and social media will get back to Ahsoka and the Clone Wars being more exciting. But for the moment, knowing how much they're fast tracking this, they're serious about this, they're getting serious talent, which we're going to get to in a bit, um, has people really really excited for now. And, and this with the Clone Wars and the fact that the fans who saw Solo love the movie even total skeptics who didn't think they would like the movie or like a Solo that wasn't Harrison Ford but they fucking loved Elden Ehrenreich and, and Solo is very high on people's list of favorite movies among the hardcore fans it's sold I mean I, I, I pre-ordered Solo on Blu-ray I'm not lying from Target who's very reliable and then right before the release they told me that it was backordered we have backordered pre-orders you know in Blu-ray you know that people want this thing and I I think this is already getting i think people have more people have already seen solo or will soon than saw it in the theater kathleen kennedy got promoted right before all this happened i'm not surprised because she won everyone back with the ahsoka and seizure mandalore announcement and now with the mandalorian so with that very reasonable 16-minute intro by the Bizzle, I am uh, not going to spend too much time talking more about lore because I think you've seen it, and I, you should check out my, all of my Ahsoka. If you want to know anything about this, search Bizzlecast Ahsoka and or Clone Wars under the Bizzlecast page, and between Simi Klimo and Jedi Geek Girl, there's at least a dozen. And the reality is, of the nine or ten major arcs that Simi are doing... Uh, from the Clone Wars, three of them are definitely the three Mandalore arcs with Satine, Obi-Wan, Maul, and so forth. So you can get plenty of lore and storytelling and legends and so forth there. So for the remainder of this podcast, I am going to make a number of predictions slash wishes, uh, often having to do with casting um, or characters, which are related. But like, for example, if we see... Well, let me just put it this way. There's some characters that I hope to see or at least be mentioned from the original trilogy. I don't know if we'll see those actors. And so in that case, the cast is separate from the 
uh, um, actual characters, but uh, there are a number of characters who are already Mandalorians, such as Tia Sirkar as Sabine Wren, and of course, Katie Sackhoff as Bo-Katan, who we know, both know are very important and survived the Return of the Jedi, we think, and I feel like need to be in it, and it'd be weird to recast them, um, but that's a little bit of a tease. So anyways, I'm going to give you, I don't know, I'm not sure how far this will go, at least five or six, no more than ten, well, predictions slash wishes and i'm going to give you a ranking on the one to ten scale um i'll say no i'll just say one to five one being the least five being the most of how likely i think it is to happen from one to five and then i'll tell you how high it is on my wish list um happening from one to five uh that will be less of a surprise because honestly most of these things are things i really want to happen um but uh, you might be interested you know despite my enthusiasm and passion well, I have, you know, indirect inside knowledge about a couple things. Most of these things I don't know, but I follow these things closely. If you guys go back to my podcast last year, I predicted Siege of Mandalore. I predicted Ahsoka living and being in tons of stuff. I predicted uh, time travel, by the way, <laughs> um, which I love bragging about, even though people somehow think World Between Worlds wasn't time travel or whatever. Um, and so I have a good feeling about some of these things. Some of these things I may be completely way off about. Um, and so, yeah, so here comes my predictions as wish list. I'm going to give you a sense of what I'm thinking, and then I'm going to give you a, a ranking of how likely it is to happen, some final thoughts, and then we'll sign out. So here we go with number one. All right, so I have my list here. And since most of these predictions slash wishes have to do directly with connections to various film trilogies, movies, cartoons, properties, characters, etc., I wanted to start off with the one that is the most important to me. You guys know I'm an actor's guy, and I love talking about casting and guessing casting. If you know about my Haley Steinfeld prediction for Batgirl and my calling for live-action Ahsoka, which will definitely come up at some point. Um, I do, uh, before we talk about connections with new sagas and old sagas and the original cast and so forth, I wanted to talk about casting and other than the fact that they seem to be fast, or let me put it this way, it's not that they're fast-tracking production, it's just that they were way ahead of the curve, which is another reason Kathleen Kennedy got a promotion, or a, a contract extension. They're already starting pre-production, if not production, and it seems pretty likely that a very good-looking, charismatic, and fan-favorite character from Game of Thrones uh, is going to be the lead. I'm not going to talk too much about this, because as of recording, this is not confirmed, um, but uh, Pedro Pascal, who plays Ober Oberyn uh, Martell, um, from, you know, Clan Martell, uh, who I am familiar with him and his clan from the bit of Game of Thrones I've seen. He seems super good looking, but older and kind of, you know, beat up, sort of like older Han Solo. We know the Mandalorian main guy is going to start on the Outer Rim, probably being a bit of a scoundrel or worse. Uh, people are very excited. The ladies like him. The men like him. We know more and more Game of Thrones. We've got Gwendolyn Christie already. We've got Amelia Clark already. They're bringing on a DBY uh, and David Benioff, the Double Ds from the inception of Game of Thrones to work on giant projects, movies or otherwise, uh, for Star Wars. So the poaching, uh, it seems like, is continuing with um, uh, Mr. Pedro Pascal um, possibly being cast, making Star Wars, which is a very, very, very well-regarded site, to say the least. 
I believe the head or one of the heads or editors of the of the website community, Jason Ward, is someone I follow and love following on Twitter. His wife Amanda is one of the two amazing women who do the very entertaining, a very highbrow, um, but also just a very honest uh, Rebel Girl podcast. One of the few Star Wars podcasts I listen to, you know, pretty regularly. I listen to at least some of all of their podcasts. Um, I love how fearless they are in taking down ass and to be honest with you Jason Ward his wife and their friends have been very responsible in helping uh, what I thought would happen but we needed heroes on the front lines of this particular rebellion Um, I've been on the front lines and really shaming uh, the uh, the haters racist and and irrational assholes not the people who you know like Star Wars but not the last Jedi but the people who just hate everything new about Star Wars and make sure that we know it and you know uh, drive people like Kelly Marie Tran off the internet and are racist sexist assholes etc so jason amanda and their people have been uh, have been on top of all this while still doing great reporting jason is definitely an insider um and he's uh reporting with a question mark about mr pedro pascal so i don't know i it seems like people would be excited if that happens i think we're going to get someone like him who's well established in a television property like game of thrones who people are familiar with but it's not too famous and can really make this role his own um I, you know it seems very very likely and so you know in terms of my desire wish on this particular thing i'm going to actually say no comment because i'm just not sure it's happening i need to learn more about him rewatch some of those game of thrones episodes but if i'm voting on behalf of the star wars public i'd say the hope level is between three and five probably closer to four and five that pascal or someone like him would be there in terms of my own wish i'm going to do a no comment at this point but the two actors or actresses um that I think if they don't cast these two people to play the voices that they play in the Clone Wars and Rebels as Mandalorian, specifically Katie Sackhoff as the Duchess Satine's sister who they're on bad terms with but eventually comes to help her Bo-Katan once she realizes she's fighting for the wrong side and then older Bo-Katan we see in Rebels helps Sabine find her way but then Sabine gives her the dark saber so Bo-Katan can be the future leader of Mandalore which is not what Sabine wants whatsoever uh, even if she's going to be a part of it and they need the Mandalorians to help during this part of the rebellion um, those two actresses Tia Sirkar again who I'm constantly raving about as just an adorable and excellent and very versatile actress Indian actress in her early to mid 30s Katie Sackhoff mid to late 30s really about my age and sort of mid to late 30s is Katie Sackhoff um, it, it would be insane for them to not at least think about it you know we know that Katie Sackhoff and John Favreau were in the studio together during the Mandalore episodes of the Clone Wars I'm sure they know each other they're both huge sci-fi fans we know that Favreau probably loves Battlestar everyone loves you know everyone loves Star Wars I, I think likes Battlestar at least if they've come across it Katie Sackhoff in general is a phenomenal incredibly energetic uh uh, dimensional hypnotic even actress given the right material she's great in Longmire the western tv series that ran five seasons on Netflix that my dad loves but she's done a lot more sci-fi projects she's got another one coming out soon on uh, uh, Netflix um, and she loves Star Wars she grew up on Star Wars she talks about it um, and, and we know she's got the physicality from Battlestar Galactica and Longmire. She knows how to fight. She knows how to be physical. The main problem with with Katie Sackhoff is that, you know, Bo-Katan's character 
um, in Rebels, when we meet her again, is already probably in her 50s or 60s, uh, but let's say 50s, but then if you go even further into the future, past the original trilogy, when The Mandalorian TV show takes place, she's probably at least in her 60s. Now, these days, it's really easy to age down people with Marvel's technology, so to you know make Katie Sackhoff seem a little bit older, I'm sure she would go for it. We also could just assume The Mandalorian's age less quickly, whatever. I mean, that would be a stupid, stupid reason not to have her, and if Bo-Katan is leading Mandalore, even if it's about this Mandalorian on the other side of the universe, it would be foolish to not bring in Kitty Sackhoff for one or two episode, you know, super cameo or important appearance uh, in the arc, if not more so, as the voice that she did Bo-Katan. Now, uh, you know, uh, Mandalorians are aliens, and so the fact that she looks one way and Tia Sirkar, who's a beautiful, young, beautiful, amazing, uh, adorable Indian-American woman, looks another way, it shouldn't matter whatsoever. They should both just be Mandalorians. Now... We haven't seen Tia Sirkar have to fight whatsoever. She has a great physicality. She's very funny. I've seen her in some good and not-so-good TV shows and movies. I've liked all of them just because of her. She has great comedic timing. Um, I don't know if she has the sort of, you know, uh, ninja, hyper-violent thing that Sabine has, but remember, Sabine is also going to be quite a bit older and operating not based just on fighting. They're looking for Ezra, most likely. They're trying to help rebuild Mandalore and the galaxy. Again, you have have a beautiful charismatic actress who's well established but nominated is going to be getting even more roles in Tia Sirkar already doing the voice of Sabine and so I think between Sabine and Katie Sackhoff my wish level is definitely a 5 out of 5 in terms of prediction level I'm going to put Katie Sackhoff as a 4 out of 5 and I'm going to put Tia Sirkar as a 3 out of 5 mostly because you could do the story without Sabine it would be almost impossible without Bo-Katan also also the aforementioned fighting abilities that Katie Sackhoff has from Battlestar Longmire and other sci-fi properties would translate great um, and uh, you know they could make her look older enough that, that's again that's not enough of a reason to not do it there's so many reasons to do it so I'm slightly more confident that it, that Katie uh, w- would play live action version of her character Bo-Katan and again maybe a three or th- uh, three pushing three and a half w- with w- with Sabine um Again, though, they might decide that they just don't need Sabine in the story, and we're going to get more Sabine, Ahsoka, and Hera looking for uh, Ezra and other stuff. In the animated series would be another reason why maybe they don't bring her in. They just mention her by name. They'll mention Clan Wren, uh, cast some of her other siblings. But if they do that, then it's really cock-teasing us, and then we would really want to get Tia Sirkar in there. So, um, again, a 4 out of 5 prediction that Katie Sackhoff will appear, a 3 out of 5 that Tia Sirkar will appear but both a five out of a five out of five that i want them to appear speaking of ahsoka and also to a lesser extent hera um because we know they survived um i am going to make a prediction about them but because of ahsoka uh, to tease you guys i'm going to save ahsoka for last um it might be very predictable uh, my answer about that um but if you're not super you know if you're somewhat new to the Bizzlecast, maybe you're not so so I'm going to save Ahsoka for last. So, okay. Next on the list has to do connections with the various movies and cartoon franchises. So I'm going to start with the easy one, which is, will this be connected to Rebels, the Clone Wars, and or the prequels? And the the definitive uh, 
rating on this, or I should say my prediction rating of this is a six out of five, because this is specifically coming out of all the Mandalorian uh, world building and ground laying that was done in the Clone Wars and then even more in Rebels. And because the Clone Wars is, you know, of a piece with episodes one through three and, you know... even if they weren't starting to bring back so much prequel stuff in the Star Wars literature and comic books and other formats, which we know they are, it's impossible not to bring in tons of prequel stuff when you're bringing tons of Clone Wars stuff. So the chance that there's going to be, I mean, look at look at Solo. I mean, there's an unbelievable amount of prequel and Clone Wars references uh, in Solo, a Star Wars story, which of course the fanboys and fangirls loved. There's again, it would be impossible to do. This without the cosmology that was laid out by the prequels, and especially sort of the expansion and improvement of the prequels, in my opinion, in the Clone Wars and then Rebels, the chances of those properties being directly connected uh, in terms of character, storyline, history, mythology, themes, look, etc., from from those things to The Mandalorian is a thousand percent. I'm giving it a six out of five in terms of my desire. There's really no point in giving it less out of five out of five. Well, I don't love the prequels, as you guys know. I do love the Clone Wars. I think the Clone Wars was a great corrective mixed with addition to the prequels, and I really love Rebels. And so I'm going to give this a 5 out of 5 as well. This is an easy one. Uh, there's no question that everything from the prequels to the Clone Wars to Rebels is going to play heavily, heavily, if not directly based on, you know, sort of the future uh, development within this in The Mandalorian. The bigger question is, of course, a solo movie, but again, the solo movie being so ensconced in all of this, we don't even need Han Solo. Now, he is in the Outer Rim, and it's possible that, you know, that Han Solo post-Return of the Jedi has either already returned to his scoundrel ways, it's possible that he's using his scoundrel connections with Lando to help, you know, defeat the remaining parts of the Empire, build the New Republic, you know, I could see him sort of, uh, you know, uh, moderating treaties with underground organizations where Leia being Leia, super practical and wanting to build the New Republic would love to put these people behind bars, but it's much more realistic for them to just sort of moderate them and turn a blind eye as long as they do certain practices. I could see Solo um, or Solo's people doing doing things like that on the outer uh, rim, which brings me to the next point uh, of prediction slash witches, which is the original cast in the original trilogy. Now, this is obviously following from the original trilogy. I'm a little surprised that they're saying the Empire is completely defeated. Uh, it was unclear for a while whether this was going to take place before the Battle of Jakku or after. Um, even though the Battle of Jakku took place a year or a few years after Return of the Jedi and was sort of the last final battle, and there's a whole other can of worms in there in terms of mythology, cosmology, Emperor Palpatine's plan, the observatories, Project Cinder, uh, the early birth of the First Order, etc., etc., etc. I wasn't sure that even after um it wasn't certain that even after the uh epic um uh, Battle of Jakku, which, the, which the Rebels won at great cost, but so much more was going on there than they realized then or really ever, um, or at least not till much later, it seemed like the, Emperor, the Empire would still have its fangs and teeth and claws ensconced in a few places in the universe. And if that's true, then we are definitely going to have to see some mention of Luke, Leia, and Han. Um, and here's where the prediction part comes in. 
um, in terms of their presence, if nothing else, in, in the building of the New Republic and the rebuilding of the what was good about the old Republic, not to mention Luke Skywalker hasn't disappeared yet. It seems like he's committed to, you know, finding new Jedis and training them and blah, 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 blah. And so this two-part prediction here. One is the original movies. This is a five out of five d- definitively going to happen because it takes place right after them and a five out of five desire on my part. The bigger thing is the original cast. Now, the only voice we we might get is Mark Hamill's because you know Harrison Ford has said he's pretty much done with all this. Carrie Fisher's obviously dead. They're already having problems figuring out what to do with Carrie Fisher's voice for the new cartoons in Episode Nine. I think because of Carrie Fisher's death and just sort of newfound, and he loved the solo movie, by the way, and sort of newfound uh, respect for Star Wars and what it did for him and not being so dismissive, especially with Carrie's death, it's possible that Harrison Ford would lend his voice for a couple small things here or there. We already saw in the Forces of Destiny episode where Luke is training with Yoda in a scene we didn't see, uh, or I should say between a couple scenes we saw, um, in Empire Strikes Back of him training with Yoda, they got Mark Hamill to do like 80-90% of like what young uh, Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker sounded like. It was definitely good enough. And with the women that they're finding who are increasingly good at doing Princess Leia's voice and Han Solo's voice, I should say, there's a couple really good Han Solo impersonators out there who could do some spoken lines. I think that you could certainly make it work with Mark Hamill. He would certainly be game. It would be something that would excite the fan base, just having him there. Uh, and, you know, I always talk about Sam Witwer, who does the voice of Maul. And in a lot of cases, the Emperor, I think Sam Witwer at this point sounds more like evil Emperor Palpatine than, you know, Ian McDermott, who played the Emperor, does. Um, uh, uh you know, nevertheless, having Ian McDermott come back at the end of Rebels to do the, the Palpatine voice was great, even though he might not objectively be the best in terms of what we remember from the original trilogy. You could say the same about Luke in any new series, but I think Mark Hamill is, you know, legendary as the Joker in the Batman series and, and video games, one of the most legendary voice actors ever, on top of him being Luke Skywalker. It would seem impossible that we couldn't do a couple holograms um, mixed with just voice transmissions of Luke Skywalker, you know, talking to people uh, as as a uh, as a tie-in to the original cast that we love so much. It's easy to do R two and C three PO and Chewie and so forth, um, but it would be great to have uh, to, to have a little Mark Hamill in there. And so the original cast, you know, Carrie Fisher is obviously zero out of five possibility. I'd say Harrison Ford like a one or two out of five possibility. It's low, but it is possible. I would say Mark Hamill's like four four and a half out of five that we get some mark hamill voice acting he definitely won't be a main character it's definitely not going to focus on luke skywalker um though it's possible that they tease they trick us into thinking what i'm thinking which is there's no way they would have the balls to even attempt such a thing and therefore they would try to do it in a non-cgi way with a great recasting like <coughs> uh, sebastian stan who looks exactly like young uh, mark hamill and mark hamill even calls his son uh we could see sebastian stan in there so it's possible we get a luke so basically what i'm saying is Getting real Luke, whether it's just voice or performance or some mix of it, partial recasting, partial Hamill, something I think is at least a three out of five pushing when if you're just going voice four out of five. And of course, my desire for such a thing, like with Harrison Ford, is a five out of five. So 
We're going to end on Ahsoka. Before we get to Ahsoka, though, I'm going to talk about connections with the new saga. And I mentioned that, you know, other than the Aftermath books, which mostly people don't really like, I had trouble getting through any of them. I got through some of the third. I know the lore. The lore was excellent. The writing was just uneven and a lot of annoying characters. But it's pretty much the only thing that filled in the, you know, history and lore of what happened post-Return of the Jedi through the Battle of Jakku. And other than some short stories and comic books here or there... They've been very tight-lipped about learning about, especially our main characters, but really anything in between episode six and seven. Now, what I consider by far the best uh, Star Wars uh, novel in the new canon, for adults or otherwise, is one for adults called Bloodline by the great Cynthia Gray, who's written many of the best books, both teen books and adult books. I mean, she really straddles the line no matter what she's writing. Um, wrote Lost Stars, but she wrote Bloodline, which is about Leia in the Senate five years before episode seven. Ben is not Kylo. He's with Luke, but she hasn't heard from either of them in a while. Her and Han are not on great terms, but they're still in touch. She's about to become the lead senator of all of the New Republic, but she really doesn't like where the politics are going. She's doing it by necessity. She kind of wants it out, and she gets a little sloppy, and someone finds out that she's Darth Vader's daughter, which was obviously a dumb move to not have told people already at some point in the past uh, you can understand why she would not want people to have that information and eventually she wins people's sympathies back even though she can't run for lead senator anymore which she's kind of relieved about um, but eventually she, people do realize the position that it put her in and her own father was torturing and trying to kill her and killed her you know her planet of Alderaan and it, it, was, it was just this very um, gut reaction of fear that you get it both you know the, among the masses and among the politicians when you learn something like hey princess leia who's been a saint all this time is darth vader's daughter well when you really hear the whole story she didn't even know about it until she was old enough to not care and actually hate him and leia spends tons of time in the comics trying to murder vader before she learns that it's it's her father uh but that's enough to, to you know to get the First Order sympathizers, who most people don't even know exist, uh, in the Senate to get her out of the way and get their candidate uh, in, I believe, um, or at least someone not nearly as, as strong and unifying and loved as Leia, so that the First Order can begin what they're doing. Uh, at the end of Bloodline, you know, they she's able to pull off a major operation to blow up uh, a first order uh, weapons planet essentially um, or at least a giant base on a planet um, semi by accident while she's trying to uh, attain information about what's going on um, but it only delays them and ends with her starting the resistance with Akbar and a bunch of the characters that we you know grow to love at least briefly in episode 7 and 8 so that filled in a little bit but we still don't get the you know how long were her and Han happily married? When was Ben born? How did that situation go? You know, and so I'm not sure we're going to learn about the formation of the Jedi Academy or, you know, see or hear much of about uh, Ben um, and, you know, Han and Leia for the aforementioned reasons because of casting, because they want to save that for other stuff and because that's just not the focus. And I think it start, it's smart to make it not the focus. The problem is if they start taking half measures, uh, you know, then it's like, well, now just give us Luke and give us the lore that we've been wanting this entire time. So I, I don't know what they're going to do. 
and considering they're just framing this as a single 10 episode thing whether there's multiple series or not uh, makes me think even more they're going to stay away from Luke, Leia, and Han other than in reference now I hope it's not the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. thing or you know even the Netflix Marvel stuff which I do like where they you know vaguely reference the Avengers occasionally or New York or blah 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 but there's really no real connectivity now with the Marvel Netflix being so ground level in New York it doesn't matter with S.H.I.E.L.D. it makes almost no sense has really led to that show never reaching even close to full potential obviously with the cartoon um and taking place uh you know after the prequels before uh the original trilogy the clone wars and rebels is like you know perfectly fit into the universe and it, it is not only considered as much canon but some people like the the animated stuff as much or more as some or all of the on-screen stuff and i hope that this even though it's live action and it's going to be very tough to work in han luke and leia I don't want it to be about those three, but I also think that there's a giant elephant in the room situation if those three are not mentioned. It's just it's just the bottom line, and it's something they're going to have to deal with. So, again, original cast, good chance of, of some sort of Hamill or Luke Skywalker, very low chance of any Solo or Leia other than mentions, and maybe a couple little radio transmissions here or there. And, of course, they will be talking about and drawing a lot from, you know, the the shitstorm that's left over after the destruction of the second Death Star, the death of the Emperor and Vader, and where the universe is. And it'll be interesting to see how much of the universe at that point, you know, five years or whatever after Return of the Jedi, when we see the Mandalorian, how much of the galaxy is under New Republic control, how much of it, if any of it is still under Imperial control, how much of it is just lawless. I'm thinking a lot of it's going to be lawless, and that's what this is going to be about. And this, um, if I had to make a giant thematic guess, and then I'm going to finish with Ahsoka, if I had to make a giant thematic guess, you know, part of... Uh, the reason that Han, but we also see Kanan Jarrus um, in uh, in Rebels not initially want to join the Rebellion is it's still a large military and bureaucratic organization. And if they start creating a lot of rules, even if they're not nearly as evil, we know they won't be, the New Republic, nearly as evil as the Empire, they're going to make some mistakes and they're going to ruffle some feathers of people who didn't like Old Republic control, they didn't like Separatist control, they didn't like the Imperial control, and they're not going to like New Republic control. And so thematically, I think we're going to see this Mandalorian guy have to, you know, uh, struggle with, well... (sighs) It's kind of bad for business that the good guys are winning because when the bad guys are winning, there's always going to be a place for bounty hunters. And it's going to be much harder for bounty hunters in some ways. Other than the general chaos, it's going to be much harder for bounty hunters in in some ways uh, to survive in this new world, I think is going to be one of the main themes in terms of connecting with the original trilogy and moving forward. I don't think there's going to be much about the First Order. I think it's too early on. And so um, uh, I, I would put that at like a one out of five probability that there's any real hints towards Kylo Ren in the First Order and so forth, but I could be wrong about that. So, okay, let's get into Ahsoka and we'll wrap this baby up. All right, folks, here comes the big one, Ahsoka Tano. Specifically, what are the chances that we get Ahsoka Tano either for the first time or maybe not for the first time in the Mandalorian, John Favreau's television show. Okay, Ahsoka Tano, you know I love her. You know my senior contributor, Simi, really loves her. The very first podcast I ever did with Simi Klimo back in November of last year, almost a year ago, hard to believe, we uh, entitled um, 
how Ahsoka and the Clone Wars saved Star Wars. This was before the Last Jedi controversy, before Solo bombed at the box office, before the announcement of the Clone Wars. Coming back and Ahsoka sent people into an absolute tizzy of happiness and joy and giddiness, the increasing love across the board that Ahsoka has, and people want to see more of her. But in that podcast, I talked about how because The Clone Wars was like a cool, dark vision with a cooler Anakin, a more interesting Padme, uh, a deeper, more complicated Obi-Wan, and of course the introduction of Ahsoka Tano, who people hated at first, but very quickly started to love, and she became... This is the main reason, you know, the first female Jedi and someone that young girls in the early 2000s could look up to and get into Star Wars through Ahsoka. We don't have Rey without Ahsoka, not because Rey is a female Jedi that came later, but we don't have that female fan base without Ahsoka Tano. But she was loved, or she has become loved across the board by all people. And while people were sort of split on season one of Rebels, which takes place a couple uh, decades after the Clone Wars and a little bit before the original trilogy... There's no doubt that the uh, uh, reintroduction of older Ahsoka, the very end of season one of Rebels, and her major role in season two of Rebels, and then of course coming back for a couple epic appearances in the final series uh, season of Star Wars Rebels was a major highlight and got people on board in a way that probably would not have been possible. Otherwise, now in that original Ahsoka and Clone Wars episode with Simi, I did in fact predict that Ahsoka was not dead, that she would play a major role in the future of Star Wars. I specifically called out the Siege of Mandalore, which only I only knew from the Ahsoka book and the Dave Filoni panel from a couple years ago at Celebration when he revealed all of these great stories having to do with Ahsoka coming back as not a Jedi, but helping the Jedi Order right before the Battle of Coruscant in Order 66 to take on Darth Maul and the evil force with the loyal clones at Siege of Mandalore. It's such an epic and amazing story. Fits in totally with her mythology. They were treating it as canon, even though they hadn't done it yet. It seemed impossible, given the brilliance of just the concept of that story, as well as the love of Ahsoka and wanting to see it, that it was going to happen. Now, I will say, while I have been predicting Ahsoka coming back in major ways multiple times, and specifically the Siege of Mandalore, I'll stop the back padding for now. I did not necessarily predict that it would happen in the Clone Wars, because I didn't see the Clone Wars coming back. I I thought once Disney took that off the table, them putting it on Netflix and then drawing from it heavily in Rebels and the movie properties and so forth and future animated series was going to be more than enough. So I did not see that coming. Um, And part of it was because I wanted Ahsoka to come back and do Siege of Mandalore or anything in live action form. Now, because this is not an Ahsoka discussion, and I've done a ton of them, again, with Simi, Klimo, and Jedi Geek Girl, which you guys should check out, where we hypothesize about these things in various uh, points over the last year, including a World Between Worlds, where we actually get time travel, something I predicted at the, in that same Simi podcast a year ago. Everyone th- thought I was crazy. Some people still think I'm crazy. They don't see World Between Worlds as time travel. I don't know what else it is other than rescuing her from her timeline, where Vader almost kills her in season two of Rebels and bringing her to the modern timeline. And then, of course, we see her as sort of Gandalf Ahsoka at the very, very end of Rebels Season 4. She's alive with Sabine and Hera. Seems like they're going to look for um, uh, Ezra. Um, and so, uh, you know, she's Ahsoka the White. She's, you know, immortal Ahsoka, maybe more unkillable than Gandalf. And they're they're going to keep her going as long as possible. And so I still think live-action Ahsoka is in play 
both for practical reasons, because of how much fans love her, but also because she is so powerful, but so different in, in, in her power. Um, it's so important in the history that I don't feel like we're going to get the full, as much as I love the animated series and think things like Twilight of the Apprentice are as good as any, you know, actual movies out there. And I am on board that the animated series can do things as well, and in some cases better than we can do. Uh, cartoons can do better than the movies. It, you know, I've often talked about how you watch the prequels now, and you're like, wow, Lucas really came up with some great world-building ideas that weren't fully realized until the Clone Wars for logistical reasons, for effects reasons, just they hadn't explored them enough. Um, you know, they, they really got to take great world-building stuff from the prequels and expand them heavily, especially in the Clone Wars, but in Rebels, Solo, Star Wars Story, you know, the Rogue One, and so forth, going forward. So that is all great, but I don't think we're going... We need to see Ahsoka live action, not just to show that we can do it. And, you know, I'm constantly having to tell Simi that we've seen great live action Twi'leks. And yes, they haven't been, you know, kicking ass the way Ahsoka maybe would kick ass or we would think would kick ass in live action form, but we know that they can do the makeup. It doesn't even have to be very much CGI, if at all. So that the logistical CGI, or I should say practical building of Ahsoka is totally doable. The bigger question is, is when should she come back? If she should come back, is the Mandalorian the place? Is the Mandalorian going to come out before episode nine? Is it going to come out after episode nine? Is it going to be around the same time? And the reason I'm saying this is my current prediction about live action Ahsoka is that the best way to get her so that she has a very important role and screen time in a major Star Wars movie where she needs to be so she's fully appreciated by the wider audience who hasn't seen the cartoons and needs to see her gloriousness would be that she's even a much older Ahsoka has survived beyond or I should say into episode 9 territory and becomes the mentor for Rey that Rey never had because let's be honest Luke was a terrible mentor and while Luke does save the day at the end when things are so dire in episode 8 and does teach Rey some lessons he mostly learns from Rey more than Rey learns from him and while Rey doesn't really need the discipline that the Skywalkers need because she's just naturally good and makes good decisions the way Ahsoka does I mean she's even way less reckless than Ahsoka, I, I think having a female, an experienced female sort of, you know, reverse Obi-Wan Kenobi character, and of course she was trained by Kenobi uh, as well as Anakin, and, you know, obviously the connection with Kylo and Luke, it's so perfect, and I've said it before, but I'll say it here again, I think Ahsoka is going to play a major, major, major secret small but important um or have a secret and small important appearance in episode nine as an advisor uh and possibly mentor to ray that she needs so badly and ahsoka is the perfect person for so that being said if you're going to put her in the movies you don't have to put her in the show and if as i said earlier they're going to decide sabine and hera and all of them are going to be looking for ezra and doing their own story then you know maybe she's off with them doing that or other missions as she's often doing and so we don't need her in it basically what i'm saying is <clears throat> the chances uh that sabine is or is not 
in The Mandalorian will actually factor into Ahsoka because we know that they're together at the end of Rebels, which is basically at the end of Return of the Jedi. So if, if we work Sabine in, then we have to work Ahsoka in. And of course, her experience, her many experiences, ups and downs, a lot of downs, but also some victories and a lot of learning experiences and life lessons <laughs> involving Mandalore and on Mandalore and with Mandalorians, it would make total sense. You can make it make total sense for her to be there and it would be amazing, but I wouldn't want them to throw her in just to throw her in. And so while I would prefer her to have a semi-regular role on The Mandalorian just because she's great on television already and she would be great in live action on television and they could find tons of cool stuff for her to do. Maybe she recruits The Mandalorian. Maybe she fights The Mandalorian. Who knows? There's so much that she could do. She could be the one when we couldn't get Luke, Leia, and Han, but we could get Ahsoka during that time period that would tie it all together the way that the solo movie in Rogue One has tied so much of this together. However, in terms of a classic cinema standpoint and me being a movie person, I'd rather her have 10 to 20 really affecting, memorable minutes that blow people away as Rey's advisor slash mentor in episode nine than to be in the television series. So this is a tough one. And this is where I'm going to hedge my bets most more than most. I'm going to say the chances of live-action Ahsoka, uh, even a hologram with speaking in The Mandalorian, I'm going to put between a two and a three. Um, I, I need more information on this, so maybe a two and a half out of five um, potential. And I'm going to say a three or three and a half in terms of desire, and that's only because of my final prediction, uh, which is I think the chances of Ahsoka in episode nine, and I keep wanting to get this on, on tape just in case it's correct, is like a four out of five. And I have like a, a, you know, a million out of five desire for her to be older Obi-Wan-esque Ahsoka to Rey in episode nine. I don't know if I can have both. I don't know if I want both. And so if I both think it's more likely to happen in episode nine and um, I, I kind of want it more, then I can't put my desire um, or expectation rating higher than a two or three of Ahsoka, live-action Ahsoka in The Mandalorian. That being said, I will take any live-action Ahsoka. I definitely think it's going to happen. I also think there's... Probably the 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 more likely scenario is she appears in neither episode nine nor the Mandalorian, but in a future film, uh, including my Obi Wan story, which I think they're doing a version of at some point, maybe or something else or a totally different TV project. I think we will eventually get live action Ahsoka, but if I had to guess, I still think it's more likely, and I would probably prefer her in a smaller but much more key uh, role as Ray advisor maybe discuss talking with force ghost luke and yoda and so forth in episode nine they're pulling out all the stops for nine with casting and surprises and and character stuff and so that's what i see happening but that said if sabine and and Hera and so forth do appear as major characters in the mandalorian tv series then i think ahsoka has a good chance of being there as well so there you have it people thank you so much for joining me for this uh solo podcast discussion of the very exciting updates to the mandalorian it's already filming we're going to start getting casting announcements i'm sure this will be somewhat obsolete soon as we get more information in the meantime you can see where my head is at and i think i have a pretty good pulse on what they want to accomplish um so 
far based on the knowledge given to us. You will definitely be getting more of this soon. You've got tons of Clone Wars commentaries coming from me and Timmy Klimo, including uh, the first of numerous uh, Satine Obi-Wan Mandalore ones coming soon. We got the solo commentary coming soon. I didn't even talk about the connection of Kira and Darth Maul, which also hint heavily to Ahsoka from the Star from the solo Star Wars movie. It's not a coincidence. They set up Maul sort of the end there, which was cool, but people weren't sure why, but then they announced the Siege of Mandalore. Everything's making much more sense in terms of bringing all these worlds and characters together, so I hope you enjoyed that. I am thrilled about all of this. I'm thrilled for Kathleen Kennedy. I think Star Wars is in a great place. I've been saying this for a while, despite all the you know controversies and mostly fake controversies, so I hope you guys are all as optimistic, um, or at least somewhat optimistic about, uh, and excited about the future. More Star Wars and other coverage coming uh, from me soon, um, but for the moment, you guys have been awesome. I have been the Bizzle. Thank you so much for joining me. But for the moment, the Bizzlecast is out.